KRCL, Salt Lake City. KRCL amplifies the work of community nonprofits like Comunidades Unidas, an organization that fights to build the social and political power of people who identify as Latinx immigrants, including undocumented folks living in Utah. More details at cuutah.org. I'm Nick Burns. This is Radioactive on this first day of February. Thank you for joining us for our show, for you, for grassroots activists, for community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives everywhere. Thank you for plugging into your community with me tonight. And tonight on the show, first day of Black History Month, and we want to I want to highlight someone in our community who incorporates social justice advocacy, equity and access, storytelling into her everyday role as a full-time performing arts faculty at Salt Lake Community College. Full disclosure, I've known Whitney Harris for years, and we invited her here to join us for one of our special Music Meets Activism discussions. We've got a great playlist dating back to sort of Gosh, my childhood in the 1970s and soul music. And we're going to bring it completely up to date through many different performers and have a great conversation with Whitney. But Laura Jones, yeah. we got to jump into some rallies and resources we and do. we have a little water to talk about. We do. And Dave John from Hours Hour and Sheltered Relatives happened to stop by. He's going to report out on a couple of things. But first, let's get to the Zoom and Amy Joy O'Donohue from the Deseret News. Hey, Amy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Our fellow Great Salt Lake Collaborative collaborator. Been doing lots of great work over there, yourself and the crew at the Desert News, to shine a light on the plight of the Great Salt Lake, raise awareness before it's too late. And uh, we wanted to pick your brain about what's called euphemistically Water Week on Wa- the Hill. Water Week. Yeah. You know, you're reporting, you mentioned this, you know, 150 years since the white pioneers arrived, and we've now dropped the lake to its lowest level ever. But there is this discussion here during Water Week talking about $500 million. Um, that could buy a lot of water. I, I don't know how many brine shrimp it can buy. But from your perspective, up on the hill, what's going on for Water Week and what sort of optimism do you have it'll make a difference? Well, I think what you're seeing here is this is an echo of advocates who brought to the attention of the legislature the need to take action on Utah's air quality along the Wasatch Front. And if you recall, there was a huge gathering, a protest, you know, demanding that lawmakers take action. I don't think I'd ever seen a turnout quite like that. And in response, under that sort of public pressure, lawmakers did pony up, you know, historic money for combating air quality issues. And, uh, set forth, uh, you know, directives to the Utah Air Quality Board to make changes. And so, you know, it's not perfect. We're going to see an inversion Mm -hmm. uh, over the weekend as this high pressure moves in. But but it was really people uh, taking issue by the reins and uh, agitating and advocating that that caught lawmakers attention. So that's what's happening, I think, with Water Week. Last year, you saw an historic allocation of, you know, more than a half a million dollars dedicated toward, you know, boosting water conservation in general with an eye toward uh, protecting the resources at both the Great Salt Lake and the Colorado River. Uh, 
Speaker Brad Wilson said, we're not done yet at that time. And I think he means it. And so this week they committed to spending that much, if not more, on uh, boosting water conservation efforts in the state, uh, particularly with an eye aimed at rectifying the problems we're seeing at the Great Salt Lake. Oh, very good. I really like to hear this discussion that blends, if that's an okay verb, that blends air quality with water levels. That seems to be something that's woken up an awful lot of folks, this notion of no lake means toxic dust. And Amy's reporting also includes a story published on the 26th study. U.S. magnesium contributes uh-huh. up to 25% of Wasatch Front pollution. Amy, was that shocking in the coverage that you've done to, to be able to get this data from, the, uh, from NOAA, right? National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration that says definitively this is the case. It, it was shocking, and I, I think it, again, speaks to, speaks to the need for more public awareness on this front. Good point. Um, again, the, the, for folks who aren't aware of the magnesium plant, I guess we could call it factory or whatever, on the far side of the lake across from Salt Lake City, a super fun site, one of the most polluting uh, entities in the country 20-some years ago. It's cleaner now, but not as far as the air goes. When it comes to water conservation, you know, and I don't mean to sound overly cynical, but a lot of the discussion, at least up till last year, was all about, gee, we should get rid of our lawn and rip the strip and all that kind of thing. But now there's this awareness of the massive amount of water towards agriculture, specifically alfalfa. So in your reporting, does some of this water conservation, is that going to impact how farmers are able to water their crops? Well, I think you've already seen that happen. I mean, this, the reality is is that uh, because of the reservoir levels last year, irrigators saw their uh, allocations cut yeah. 30 or 40 percent. And that meant that, you know, fields were going fallow and, and herds were being so, sold off early. Good point. Um, and, and so that's already happening. And, and the Flip Your Strip programs, um, you know, while that may be getting some criticism and it's just drop in the bucket, but Utah has long been criticized by its Southwest neighbors for continuing to have these lush green lawns when yeah. they can but when they took that on, you know, for themselves years and years ago. Yeah, good point. I mean, I'm I'm old enough. <clears throat> I'm old enough to remember Phoenix when they convinced folks to get rid of lawns in Phoenix, and there was a lot of, I think, national chiding of people having pink gravel lawns and green l- gravel lawns, and now that's just accepted. And maybe that's what we need here, among other issues. Well, and that comes with its own short shortcomings too so you you have to remember that if you tear out all the grass and the vegetation uh-huh. with these urban heat islands uh you know vegetation is a good absorbent of absorber of heat and so it's it's a mixed bag i mean there there are certain places cer- certain places where it's appropriate to have turf um ballparks and such sure. Uh, you know, and maybe a little bit in your front yard, but if you've got a huge sprawling backyard full of nothing but lawn, and again, the only time you use it is when you walk on it to mow it, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe there's some time for a change, but you know, when you put the rocks in, 
Um, that means weeds. Uh, city leaders are afraid of the aesthetics that, that comes with people just dumping a bunch of rocks out front and then you get the weeds coming up and they're not properly taking care of that. And grass does disguise weeds. Yeah. I'm told they don't disguise my weed. Yeah. <laughs> But I again, saw the gravel in my neighborhood. Someone did that just recently, and yeah. I was like, oh, no, it's coming. But, but on the flip side, there's been recent reporting from the collective about what I think Las Vegas has been doing, where you massively reduce the amount of lawn. Like you say, if you only walk on it when you mow it, it's kind of ridiculous. But to have a tree and some native plants and in combination with the gravel actually is probably the best if we could convince Utah folks to get away from those green lawns. Well, I think you're seeing an uptick in the interest of, of, of doing just that with these conservation gardens that some of the water districts uh, have that people can walk through, get ideas, learn what might work in their neighborhood and what wouldn't. And those gardens are free to walk through yeah. in, the, in districts like Weber Basin offer free classes to, to help people get a jump start on reducing the amount of turf they have on their property. Good point. You mentioned earlier, um, Speaker Brad Wilson, we're just getting started, um, quoting him. Um, and, you know, the lawmakers are saying we're not going to let the state go dry, et cetera, et cetera. What do you see or what are you optimistic that'll come out of this legislative session specifically, in addition to what has already been done? Well, I, I think what's key here and is, is maybe overlooked is that both Speaker Wilson and Senate President Adams are Davis County lawmakers. Okay. They're in a position of extreme power. Um, well, you know, as far as the legislature goes, but but they are, are, are living the hell that the Great Salt Lake has become with the dust, with the exposed lake bed and just how abysmal it looks and they're they're right in the middle of it they're not in washington county uh-huh cash county they're in davis county you know one's in caseville one's in layton and uh if there's going to be blowing dust it hits you know north the northern wasatch front first and and so I, I think i don't think he's kidding and i don't think uh president adams is kidding either that they're committed to doing something tangible to rectify this problem. Huh, very good. Thank you. I, I hadn't really thought of that, that, that they're from Davis County and, you know, they're breathing the worst of it, so to speak. Yeah. Good point. The concurrent resolution regarding the Great Salt Lake elevation targets, you and I were talking before we went live, and I'm not seeing any action yet. A great way, folks, to follow this is to get your free account at le.utah.gov, your tax dollars at work, and then you can click on these bills and follow them, and you can see it as it goes. The tracking page is great because it tells you everything that's updated. But then you can also click back and listen to some of the conversation. And Amy, has that just made your reporting life easier, the the tools on this website? Uh, certainly. And, and advocates also track these bills. You know, Friends of the Great Salt Lake, uh, they keep track of this. Utah Clean Energy, they keep track of this. Heal Utah. And, and so you've, you've got a lot of people vested in changes, you know, in the state, whether it's in air quality or water issues. And so, you know, and don't be afraid to reach out to your lawmaker as well, to hmm. your representative. And, you know, shoot them an email. It'll, it'll probably be looked at by an intern. But 
but eventually pass along and, and let them know, hey, I really do care about the Great Salt Lake. And it's not just the Great Salt Lake on, on the Wasatch Front. It's everybody's lake in this state. Good point. I will I will comment, and I guess it's a brag, that I reached out to my senator and the other senators about SCR 6, which is the concurrent resolution regarding the Great Salt Lake elevation targets. Again, it's a, it's a resolution, but to me that seemed like, I don't know if it'll pass or not, I think it's just still under discussion, but to me that would be a huge first step. It's fluffy. I'm thinking it'll pass, Amy. What do you think? It's a resolution. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't have any teeth, oh. uh, but it but it is kind of like a nod to, you know, the the idea that that lawmakers would like to see the like come yeah. up to that level. There's know? a lot of whereas in the language on this one that shows that they <laughs> understand what's going on and what it's going to cost, and the the level that needs to be achieved is four thousand one hundred and ninety eight feet, an optimal level. By raising it to that. Amy Joy O'Donohue, you got anything coming up you want to let people know is about to come uh, through the Desert News and the collaborative on this issue, the Great Salt Lake? Well, at some point, I, I do want to address the issue of, of alfalfa. And I, I think that uh, farmers are rightly feeling some pressure and and ranchers. And, and so uh, that's the story I want to work on when we get farther along, obviously, in the growing season because the ground is frozen. Uh, but when it comes to that resolution, again, it's it's a good nod uh, to the public that that they would like to see the lake at a higher level and that's no skin off their backside if they do pass it. Yeah. Well, it bursts my water balloon there a little bit because it would be so exciting <laughs> if it was a law rather than just a resolution. But I'm trying to be glass half full here, and I apologize the puns. <laughs> Thank you so again, much. Yeah, but once again, you can't dictate what nature does. Nope. Yeah. You, Mother Nature's going to do her way. thing. Amy Jo, thank yeah. you. Amy Jo O'Donohue, Deseret News, Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Thanks for giving us some time on Zoom tonight. Hey, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. And, of course, this conversation with Amy Joy O'Donohue in partnership with the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative that partners news, education, and media organizations to help inform you all out there about the plight of the Great Salt Lake and what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. You can read all of the collaborative's coverage. We collect it for you at greatsaltlakenews.org, and you can check tonight's show notes for a link. Dave John is here from ours, Our Unsheltered Relatives. Had Wendy Garvin on last night from... Uh, from um, Unsheltered Utah and the Second and Second Coalition, which is bringing all these grassroots groups together. How did it go last night at the rec center? I don't know if you can share any of that, Dave, but also movie night coming again at First United Methodist, right? Well, good morning or good evening, relatives. (laughs) I'm used to saying that on my show, and it's a morning show. Living the circle (laughs) of life, Sunday, 7 to 10. Uh, Yeah, yeah. the rec center, uh, they opened up uh, Monday night, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, it's good. Finally, you know, the county's doing something. Um, Central City Rec Center, 36 South. They're going to be open again tonight, correct? Uh, I'm not sure. That's what the mayor said yesterday okay. when we spoke to her. Yeah, that's good because, um, yeah, we had a heating tent uh, Monday because we knew of the cold weather that was coming in. And so we put up, uh, it was like five canopies, wrapped it with tarps, and we had like uh, two uh, 50-gallon barrel uh, 
containers that uh, was rigged for propane, mm-hmm. and that was uh, well, they it was uh, the coconut hut. The coconut uh, hut, yes. Yeah. Trying to get them on. They want to come in after their season is over. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, also too, on February fourth, uh, we'll be teaming up with them, ours, our unsheltered relatives, um, for their closing of the season. So we'll be doing some Navajo tacos, you know, to help them kind of celebrate for what they did for the unsheltered relatives. They're part of the Green Phoenix Farm downtown behind the gateway and had supplies available to folks trying to stay alive on the streets. And that's the work that your organization and Wendy's and all the Second and Second Coalition has been doing to try and fill that gap that government has not been able to do during these cold times. But you're moving the needle because that's the only reason I can think they opened Central City Rec Center was... Mm-hmm was uh, because of what y'all were doing. Yeah, because um, I think, well, if you call it negotiating, yeah. <laughs> there's a little bit of yelling, but <laughs> <laughs> luckily we kept control. But it was nice that, you know, Andrew Do- Jack Johnson um, was trying to do whatever he could. and then the Salt Lake City Mayor's office? Uh, yeah. Okay. Our city council. I think, no, he? he's no longer on city council because oh. he took a job with the Mendenhall administration to oh, work okay. on issues about homelessness. Mm. Yeah, and he was there uh, pretty much when we were setting up the tents, you know, he was observing and it was good that um, Wendy was communicating with him. And I was probably l- around 8.30, uh, we got word that they were going to open up the rec center. That was Monday night. And that was, yeah, that was good. Um, but um, the second and second, uh, we were planning on being open Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, so, yeah, we kind of split the, I guess, the volunteers. So mostly all of them went to the rec center to help out get okay. that going. Um, I stayed at the tent all night and held down the fort, you know, so. (laughs) But luckily, uh, we didn't get shut down. Uh, We lasted till morning, did a lot of, uh, I guess, coffee, Uh, Hmm. used the ORJ filter, and yeah, yeah, just people coming in throughout the night to warm up, and they would leave, and, but also with the rec center, it was good that you know, they had, I think, like 54 uh, spaces so people could come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Tuesday, uh, they were doing the same. But, you know, we had our thing going on, too, but we decided to help out the rec center. Um, Get people there. Yeah, yeah, we were transporting. Um, we still had people going to the First United Methodist Church, but we were able to transport them over to the rec and we figured, you know, hopefully they would get kind of like their own volunteers because we got our thing going, too. And the sad thing about it, um, one of the unsheltered relatives asked uh, a lady froze to death this morning. What? So, So that's why it kind of, you know, to me, it kind of split our resources because I'm wondering if we opened up the church Tuesday night, you know, would she still be alive? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of bad news. I don't know who it is yet, um, but, you know, odds are we probably, she probably came to our feeding, you know, so. Yeah. So movie night at the First United Methodist, when are you opening that again? Oh, uh, yeah, tonight we'll be opening up. Uh, so we'll be opening the doors at 8 o'clock. Uh, the same, we'll do the movie night. Except in the morning, we changed it to 7 a.m., 
because that gives us an hour to clean up the place and kind of leave it the way we found it you know so from 8 p.m tonight <laughs> to 7, to 7 a.m yeah. tonight we'll be doing it any other nights this week uh no just tonight um and it's temperature dependent right yeah yeah so we open up the doors when it drops below 20 degrees uh, but then we're also looking at you know the moisture in the air so if it's high or if a storm's coming in yeah. you know because we know how that wet snow is and a lot of tents collapse and and then we know there's a lot of them without tents, sleeping bags. They, you know, mm-hmm. they're just wandering the streets. So trying to get the word out. You're yeah. going around the city, aren't you? Yeah. So yeah. So we're we'll be at back at the church. I think the rec center will be open. I haven't heard anything yet. So yeah, that's what the mayor said. Okay. When I spoke to her yesterday that she's going to open it again last night and then Wednesday night. So uh, get the word out and spread the word, folks. Um, 3rd East, 615 South, and then First United Methodist, which is on the southeast uh, corner of 2nd and 2nd yeah, downtown yeah, Salt Lake. Which we're known as now, I guess. 2nd <laughs> and 2nd Coalition, a broad group of grassroots groups working together on this issue. And you're going to be back actually, uh, is it next week? Yeah, on this show with Ty Bellamy. We're going to be talking some more about it. Yeah, and, okay. and then I guess on Sunday too. <laughs> Living the circle yeah. of life. You show share with Valine Paratrovich. But also, just briefly, earlier today, it was the 2023 American Indian Caucus Day at the Utah State Capitol. You went up and checked that out? Oh, yeah. Um, it was good. Uh, what is it? The uh, Lieutenant Governor Henderson spoke. Uh, she talked about, you know, how, I guess, we already know how the government and the tribal people, you know, try to get things worked out. Uh, she also mentioned, yeah, you know, there's always trouble, but, you know, they're always trying to work over that. <laughs> so, but yeah, then they had uh, Yolanda uh, Fran- Francisco Nez. She's with uh, Restore Ancestral Winds, uh, which kind of uh, highlights the MMIW. She talked about statistics um, and kind of like a reminder, you know, Utah, Salt Lake is still ranked one of the top 10 for missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, but yeah, there's also other numbers uh, that she mentioned. Uh, so it was good to kind of hear that again. Um, yeah, uh, let's see who else they had. They had, um, oh, Aspen Jensen. Uh, they kind of did an update on ICWA, which is the Indian Child Welfare Act. Um, and that's still being held in committee, right? The yeah, state version of so the federal. I think we won't hear nothing till I think it was Thursday or Friday when they might get a okay. something on what they're going to do. But yeah, that's another issue that even on Living the Circle of Life, uh, Val and I talk about because to us it's an important thing because if they turn this, it's going to really affect other things that are promised in the treaties. So yeah, it. It could go either way, so. <laughs> well, it's it's sad because the state's using that excuse that it's in the federal courts. So, gee, let's wait and see. Gee, let's wait and see. Gee, let's just wait and see, and nothing gets done. Yeah, because some states already kind of adopted ICWA, uh-huh. and so Utah hasn't. So that's what they're kind of bring. You know, have Utah adopt adapt the, or adopt the federal the law is still. Mm-hmm. matters yeah <laughs> unless and until something happens at the supreme court yeah so that's why i think if the state will follow it too it's a hb 40 so that's why we're really looking at that that bill and 
So yeah, where it's the waiting a game, you know, because they want to push it as it, it's a racial thing, but you know, with all the lawyers and stuff that been fighting for it, you know, it's uh, keeping up for what we were promised in the treaties. As a sovereign nation, this is a nation to nation conversation, not about ethnicity uh, under the Fourteenth Amendment. And yeah. All that. Mm-hmm. So a six, you know, they just we just need to remind them, you know, mm. treaties are supreme law of the land. Supposed to be, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We've seen people think an ordinance, well, the uh, law enforcement, you know, an ordinance trumps a treaty. (laughs) So we always remind them too, but we usually get tossed in jail when we remind them. (laughs) (laughs) Dave John, ours, our unsheltered relatives. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can catch up with all the great work they're doing in the community. And, of course, listen for for Living the Circle of Life Sunday, 7 to 10 a.m. on KRCL. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. We need to get started with a song for Music Meets Activism, and I know you got Whitney right here to help introduce it. Yeah, Whitney Harris from SLCC Dance, the lead dance faculty. Let's just jump into a song to take us into our discussion tonight with Music Meets Activism and Whitney's playlist. It's Sack Full of Dreams, Donny Hathaway. The Utah Film Center and KRCL present Black, Bold, and Brilliant, a series of events that highlights issues affecting the Black communities as seen through the lens of film and media in celebration of Black History Month. The next event on February 15th will discuss the life and legacy of jazz legend Louis Armstrong as seen through the eyes of the daughter the world never knew he had until now. More information available at utahfilmcenter.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. She's doing three nights at the Apollo Theater. Three nights, sold out. They don't do that anymore. Sharon Jones did. KRCL's Music Meets Movies returns to Broovies in Salt Lake City on Thursday, February 9th for a screening of the 2017 film Living on Soul. Part concert film, part documentary, Living on Soul was filmed during the Daptone record label's three-night sold-out residency at the historic Apollo Theater in Harlem. Featuring music and interviews from Sharon Jones, Charles Bradley, Auntie Ballas, and more. The beginnings of Daptone were real scrappy. Charles Bradley was showing me how to level uh, radiator pipes, you know, and he would score us these black market Home Depot cards that we would would buy at a discount. Sharon did a lot of electricity with me. You know, I showed her how to wire the outlets as far as I could figure out. And I think that really set the tone for uh, the spirit of the label, which has always been driven by the soul and the hard work of the family. Join KRCL Thursday, February 9th at Brewvies in Salt Lake City. Tickets at the door at 6.30, movie at 7.30. Information at krcl.org. I am Nick Burns. This is Radioactive. Tonight's episode, one of our special occasional in the series Music Meets Activism. And we already heard uh, Whitney Harris's uh, first choice, and I guess I'm going chronologically, not necessarily emotionally, Sackful of Dreams, Donny Hathaway. Whitney Harris, hi. 
Hi. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. I'm really look- I've been really looking oh. forward to it. And full disclosure, I've known you for years. Um, you're Salt Lake Community College Performing Arts faculty, folks that I worked with for many, many years. You are the artistic director of the dance company. You're also the lead dance faculty. 20-year career in dance professionally as in education both, right? What a blessing. Oh. It's been a ride. And this is here, Los Angeles, cruise ships. I mean, you've been kind of all over dancing. Yeah, not as far as I would like to go. There's, there is a... There's a coalition in Africa that I would uh, really like to be a part of. They do some summer intensive. Misty Copeland has uh, an organization there as well that does some summer intensives. So that's still on the bucket list. And a lot of people, I think, just to get into this, music meets activism. A lot of people, I think, tend to put the arts, and I think dance might be sadly worse than most. They kind of separate art from activism. But you don't see it that way, I don't think, that movement is movement is storytelling, is activism. That, that is true. I, I can't separate them because I, I, that would be like parsing out myself. Mm. I feel like those are the things that, that make up me. Yeah, and what better way than storytelling? I'm really grateful to come from a storytelling tradition, you know, and, and my cultural background is, is a storytelling um, one. And those stories they they are about me they are in me they motivate me and uh yeah and they are definitely about um activism and and togetherness and and the things that we can do how we can go farther together you're you're alluding to something there that we should spend a minute on and that is that that your story is in a way bigger than just you i mean you're born here grew up in oklahoma um your grandparents actually sharecroppers. Your grandfather was a preacher. Um, and you grew up immersed in, you know, we heard this Donny Hathaway piece, which I dare say was probably long before you were born, but a beautiful song. The guy's got an amazing voice. And there's this huge story there. You born here, but, you know, it seems to me you've split your life into this Oklahoma sharecropping preacher family and yet West Valley City, Utah racism is going to be a whole different story, I would think. Yeah, but but ever-present. <laughs> but ever-present, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, you know, and um, that's been an interesting part of my journey, actually, because for a really long time, I, I, I felt like I was able to sort of parse myself out. And there was a real disconnect uh, as a black woman of um, mixed heritage. You know, I just my two, uh, you know, most salient uh, ethnic identities being black and white uh, for a really large portion of my life uh, felt like they were warring. Hmm. It was really hard for me to reconcile those things inside myself when the world um, suggested to me around every corner that they were always in vehement opposition. I mean, that sounds like a very difficult place to be as a kid. If you've got to perpetually, not only do you have to learn how to code switch, you've got to do it. Um, you, you know, and, I, and I, I really loved my childhood. I would spend, you know, some of our, our summers in, in Oklahoma, and that was my dad's side of the family. And so, you know, it just beautiful blackness everywhere. And, you know, but the, the more part of my childhood, I was here in West Valley. And um, for most of that, fortunately, I had... Um, access and exposure to my mom's family, a very, very loving and supportive family. And um, so I had 
more love than I knew what to do with inside of my family. Um, But in the world, it was difficult. And it's really difficult watching the people you love struggle in the world. You know, I have experienced uh, plenty of social injustice. I have witnessed far too much social injustice really, really close to me. Um, And so I think that part was harder for me, watching my dad, who's from a very, very, you know, just the Oklahoma countryside, very small town, yet, like you mentioned, originally sharecroppers, eventually they were able to purchase a sizable um, piece of land, which, you know, were amazing in itself, right? Childhood memories. and, And my dad um, thrived there for the most part. It's a tough upbringing, you know, having to miss school often because he needed to stay home and, and help, um, on, on the land and, and with the animals and the farm and things. But watching him here, that, that was, it was harder watching him try to survive in public than it was surviving myself. I mean, what an, what a sad but powerful upbringing for you to witness that. You had mentioned to me once a couple of years ago, you actually saw your dad under the knee of a cop, George Floyd style. I mean, that can't be easy as a kid. And I, and I would guess, now try not to go too far out on a limb here, but I would guess the racism in Utah is probably not quite the same as the racism in Oklahoma. At least it would manifest itself differently, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Not that, not that. I, I experience it differently. Absolutely. Mm. My parents um, would. My father has uh, since passed, but they would both express that they experienced racism in both places, but but differently. Um, yeah, and and more than once, I I watched my dad be um, harassed, you know, wrongfully by police. This the incident that you're. Uh, you mentioned actually happened in our front yard. Mm. Uh, he and a, a friend of his pulled up to our house um, in in his friend's car that you know was registered to him, and you know the license plates would have reflected that. Would have been a really quick search, um, but they air quotes met the description of some mm. people in the area who had done you know uh, maybe committed a crime or were suspected of something and didn't. The, you know, the police officers in, in our front yard didn't bother to, to run plates or do any kind of background checks, just uh, pulled them both out of the car and immediately um, mm. started beating them. So, you know, an, a knee on the neck in that incident would have been light it, it, compared to, to what I saw. I, it, was, it was just this vicious curbing and there was nothing still. Mm. There was nothing still about it. And outside of the pain, because I mean, he, you know, had to get new teeth and, and things, but um, the bruises heal, you know, but my, my dad had to live there. It was hard for him to come out of our house after that, because it's not like the police officers, once they recognized that they get it, that they got it wrong, went to the neighbors and said, our bad. Uh-huh. That was, that was, you, you don't have anything to be afraid of, as if him presenting as black wasn't a threat enough. You know, for most people, they don't rectify that. They don't try and clean up their mess or they just drive away. I mean, it's a psychic wound for you as a kid. How old were you? A kid? Little kid? I was in junior high school. That's a hard time. Yeah, so probably eighth or ninth grade. Old enough to know better and to feel like I should be able to do something, but just standing there totally helpless. And, And yet you yourself 
come from a place of lots of love, lots of activism, lots of reaching out to others. It would be, and I want you to set up the next song here. I want to talk about A Change Is Gonna Come, Sam Cooke, an amazing tune. Because um, a change has come to some degree, a little bit. But nonetheless, those psychic scars and what your dad had to go through certainly must sit on your heart. But you've, you know, I, I don't sense any bitterness in knowing you. Oh, Oh, that's nice. Good. I would be totally displaced <laughs> if you did. Um, my dad was, you know, just like my, my papa that you mentioned uh-huh. earlier, was who was a, a Baptist preacher. I mean, they just oozed love. It just is, it, it's just was who they were. And I did uh, learn a lot from them and, and was able to, um, you know, I, I think I adopted a lot of their dreams, you know, like the dream that Donny Hathaway talks about in Sack Full of Dreams, where peace is in the rivers and it's everywhere and cities are full of smiling faces and we're building bridges of steel and love, you know, um, things that really connect people. But it does. Like, I, I think their love, um, while it came from a very genuine place, I think it was refined through adversity. And so that's sort of what I hear in Sam Cooke's cry and lyric in A Change Is Gonna Come. It comes from this place of sort of torture, but all the while is is still hopeful. And you can hear that in his voice, I think. Yeah, that, just that cry. Let's yeah. hear that. A Change Is Gonna Come, Sam Cooke. Ebony and Ivory, Stevie Wonder. Wow, now you're talking my childhood. Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney. We went straight from Sam Cooke to, to that song. So, I mean, the the metaphor there is is certainly older than Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder, but tell me about that song a little bit. You know, I just have always, like, like the first two songs uh, mentioned, you know, I've just always believed in and hoped that tomorrow would be better today and that we will arrive there together, you know, and, and that, that we'll take the journey together. And I just think this is such a clever song. I mean, we could have five hours of yeah. just, you know, Stevie the Seminole, but uh, <laughs> but we can't today. Oh. So I, I feel a little bit bad putting such a, you know, a light Stevie song on there, but yeah. it just, it, it sort of brought it home to me. And I think it's just an important reminder that, to get to a better place, it's going to take all of us. It's not an us or them or or their issue to tackle. It's going to take it's going to take all of us, and and we can do it as simply as you know, piano keys huh. exist harmoniously on a piano. Well, Whitney Harris, I mean Ebony and Ivory, isn't that just you? Little bit. I mean, you were talking earlier about having to live, you know, bifurcated, if you will. That there's sort of two sides, and how do you put those together? But I mean, I, I, I don't want it to be overly clichéous, but you seem to be living that dream. Well, yeah, and, and that sort that song actually, when I was a kid, it really brought it home hmm. uh, for me. You know, it was a, a visual illustration of how those things could be reconciled together. Okay. It was helpful. And I want to jump into this next one here because this song is just awesome. I think the choreography and the music video is just amazing and reminds me of your own work. But this is Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation, which is, I want to say, from the 90s, maybe? Yep. Yeah. So your childhood, really. Absolutely. Janet Jackson has always been my favorite performer, so oh. I, I had to include her, just because in my mind, she's the goat. And uh, this song, too, it's it really is a call to action. It has basically the same message as the other songs and just sort of the, 
the mantra of my life. Um, you know, but she's she's really uh, giving a charge here. She's like saying, do you want a, a, an improved way of life? Um, do you think we can come together? Um, are you tired of the social injustices around you? Then stand up, come together and, and show, she says, that you give a damn. Yeah, do for something the, about For the babies, it. for the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Come together. We, we are a nation that can do better. And at the same time, there is this choreography in, in if people know the original music video of this piece, which to me, Whitney, is very reminiscent of your dance work. I'm going to say thank you oh, very you should. much. No, I mean, the, the movements, the, you know, it's, it's very mechanicized, mechanical at times, the choreography. You know, they're sort of marching through this sort of, I don't know, factory kind of thing in sort of military-ish garb. But at the same time, there's this huge sort of hip-hop bent to it. And it's this interesting combination of sort of angular mechanics and then like hip-hop activism. And it seems to me that's how you dance. And I wonder, does that come from this tune? Does from her work? Oh, I am absolutely okay. influenced by her work, yes. But uh, I, I love moving in other styles, too. I, I really enjoy um, contemporary movement to spoken word. So okay. my mentor and I would often do things like she would speak um, a Sojourner Truth piece or something from Maya Angelou, and I would dance the movement, but in a much more lyrical, contemporary Okay. Um, fashion so yeah these are you've seen these uh this style because it's a, they're crowd pleasers you know they're energetic we three are bopping along in the station like you can't <laughs> sit still and listen oh, yeah. to this music so coupled with um you know upbeat fun hard-hitting choreography those are crowd pleasers and at at the college that's you know when we produce concerts that's the the aim but I see, you know, in your work with students at the college, I see an evolution from what dance used to be at the college, right? You're engaging an increasingly diverse student body, right? There's far, far more students of color at the college than when I started there over, what, 20 years ago now. And you're engaging them in meaningful ways with exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it's like you're putting it on the street, so to speak, or on stage. Well, what I love about um, the latitude and the trust, you know, that, that you gave me is that I could meet them where they were at. And so rather than pulling them into my vortex and, and forming them into something that I wanted, I'm just the sort of the vehicle and provide the platform. So we start early with, with building a, a supportive and an uplifting culture, um, you know, in the space and in on the company and from there I say we're about storytelling and this is one of the most expressive uh, art forms tell your story and how can I help and sometimes it just means me getting out of the way Hmm. well said I want to get into this next song lift every voice this is of course a traditional if you will written 120 years ago based on a poem um but lift every voice and sing is kind of what you're just talking about that if you're just getting out of the way you're letting students dance. Yes, and and personally for me, this this one, you know, I had sort of wrestled, like I said, with that internal conflict about my identities for a really long time, and this song actually ended up being a healing one for me. How so? Um, because I felt I've for a really long time I felt like I had two voices, but that one was silenced and one was invalid. Ooh. Okay. And even though even though people would listen to me, my life felt like one voice was silenced and one voice was invalid because 
basically because it had silenced the other voice and, and might do that in others as well. And when this just drives home, lift every voice, lift every voice, I didn't used to hear it um, as a call to me. You know, hmm. I, I know this song as the Black National Anthem. Right. Um, but eventually it would serve to elevate um, the, the voices the voices in me. In part, I didn't have to find that voice for a long time because I wasn't a, a writer. I really got into writing in, in graduate school when I was um, really, you know, steeped in, in policy and practices that at best were... Um, undergirded by and at worst motivated by hmm. uh, systemic racism then I started writing much more but before that I could move it I could move what I was feeling I could express it in movement I didn't have to find the words and um, at the same time in graduate school all of this identity stuff sort of um, peaked for me and I was also supervising the Social Justice Advocates, which was a, a group of undergraduate students who were just fierce and loving and compassionate and ready to tackle any issue um, that unjustly impacted their peers. And fortunately, when you put that energy behind something, it'll move whatever it is. And fortunately, we all chose compassion and love, and we moved that way. Because had we put hate or something in front of that energy, it would have fueled it yeah. you know, just just the same. And um, so we would talk about things like this, our political views, and what's your experience in America like, and what do you do when somebody's singing the national anthem? Hmm. We would have those conversations and... It's, I'm still a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit conflicted. I'm so grateful to live here. I love living here. Um, when it comes to the flag and the national anthem, I honor and am hopeful for the, the promises that they represent. It is, I can't unknow that mm. I wasn't being thought of when they were written or sewn. You were put in a different box, that's for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. so this, yeah, this song was was therapeutic and, and healing for me in, in a lot of ways. I mean, from from my working with you, you know, you, you're talking about working with students and and how these conflicts move across students' lives and in their own education. But I've also seen you tackle this at the faculty and systemic structural level. In fact, one of the things I learned from you that was fascinating was this notion of, you called it a tax, that in Utah with so many faculty who are white, there's almost a tax if you're a faculty member who's black or brown. You know, everybody's going to look to you. Yeah, <laughs> like, to either speak for, you know, your, uh, everybody who identifies the same way as you or to serve on any and every committee that would claim to, um, you know, be aimed at advancing um, things, practices, you know, yeah, the culture that would benefit you. And it's, it, it is, it, be, it becomes a tax because there is this expectation from in-group and, and outside of your group. We, I want to do the work. I want to do all the things. I want to do all the things that would make any space better. But it's some. But even outside of those committees, I already have a very full-time job. Well, yeah. So it, it really is extra, even though it can feel rewarding in some ways. It's still time away from my family and my kids. You know, it's it's energy that I'm expending worthwhile. But it does. It, it, it is an additional tax. Speaking of, you mentioned your kids, so thank you for that. You grew up in, you know, with all this love, all this music. What about your kids and dance and music and art? 
How are you passing that on? They're there. Okay. <laughs> they, they attend the dance concerts. I, I've uh, met your kids at the dance concerts, yes. yes. Um, Molia is 16, and he's a, he's a songbird. Okay. He really loves theater. I think he is moving in a different direction these days, and we, my whole family is sad about that because we so enjoy watching him on stage, but um, also enjoying watching him you know, evolve and grow into the young man that he is. Kingston is 14, and he plays soccer, but he loves anything musical. Any given day, you can find him watching In the Heights or huh. High School Musical oh, wow. or The Greatest Showman. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's a utah hit it's, movie if ever there was one it's huh. in them uh yeah but they they, ex- they just have different ways um of expressing fortunately my husband loves all things arts so um at least you know i'll always have a partner to to enjoy those things with yeah. even though you know our boys are about to fly the coop soon yeah but i mean speaking as someone who's a parent whose kids are adulting on their own now you know it, you're in that range of like 14 to 24 uh, and then they'll come back home and they'll be human again so oh, that's encouraging you should Thank wait you. for that, that that this is kind of that crazy time for teenagers okay that's uh, encouraging so a couple minutes left we have one more song to play and before we get to that one I just, well, first of all, thank you for taking time to do this. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm glad I'm glad we could work out a time to do this. And, and thank you, especially because this is Black History Month and Music Meets Activism is something that we really like doing on Radioactive. And I just think this was a great way to kick off the month. But Good. I'm really intrigued. It sounds like you've come to grips or you've come to peace and to love yourself with what used to be kind of a split we were talking about sort of that split between white and black and utah and oklahoma and this family and that family but now i just see your smile and it seems like there's a balance there it does it you know and instead of them uh, feel like always being in conflict it's just been in really within the last few years that i actually feel like those identities um have reconciled inside of me like the fact that they they coexist and they you know collectively um make up me feels like like they've been reconciled in me in my family in the world i just i have a completely different um outlook and it it feels a lot more healthy and and whole and uh it, it really is like it's just it really isn't about the identities even though they're important to to remember because they they people's perceptions shape mm. other people's experiences you know like none of us are an island we're, we're all here together and the way we treat each other matters so i don't want to say that our identities don't matter because i know it impacts the way people you know experience life differently and in different spaces and it just kind of like ebony and ivory this song it's it's a little bit lightweight but it's just the perfect prescription Whitney Harris, thank you. Set up this last song, L-O-V-E, Melanie Fiona with John Legend. Set Uh, this up. Yeah, it it is. I mean, it's just, it really, I would just say it really could be that simple. If we would wake up every day and choose happy and choose love and choose to see one another and choose to listen, um, it... I just, I think we would all have a much better experience. We could get to a better place. We would get there together. And it's like like they're saying in this song, it really is just, it's that simple. We just could use 
a little or a lot uh, more love. Oh, Whitney Harris, thank you. Professor of Dance, Salt Lake Community College. This has been a special episode, Music Meets Activism, on a Wednesday night radioactive. Thanks for tuning in. Let's roll that song. All we need is L-O-V-E love. KRCL, Salt Lake City.